Hello everybody and welcome to the Champions Cast here on ZeldaDungeon.net. My name is Andy Spateri and as always I'm joined by Taylor Wells. What's going on man? How are you? Nothing much. I'm doing pretty good. Just uh, having another good, good week. It's been really busy for me. Got a bunch of new writing projects going and my regular work is going well as well. So it's uh, it's been a good week. How about you? Uh, pretty good. I'm I'm playing through Link's Awakening all week, just in preparation for the Zelda Dungeon Marathon. Ah, uh, yeah. Try not to embarrass myself. Uh, you know how that goes. So, um, yeah, been a uh, been a busy week, but uh, you know, can't complain really. Um, yeah. So we we've got we've got an action packed show for you. So we're just gonna go ahead and dive right into it. It is side quest week over at Zelda Dungeon. So as the name implies. Uh, we're going to be theming all the content that's coming out this week around the various side quests that take place in the Legend of Zelda series. Um, our favorite ones, our not-so-favorite ones, some of the weirder ones, how, you know, what we define as a side quest, all kinds of good stuff. There's going to be really in-depth looks at some particular quests. There's going to be general daily debates. Our show is themed for this. Uh, the Hyrule Compendium is going to be themed for this. So, um, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be really cool, and there's a lot of... Uh, you know, there's going to be some talk about some of the more famous side quests in this series, and then there's going to be some some offshoot side quests being talked about as well. So it could be a lot of uh, really good stuff. And we, of course, are going to count you down our top 15 most impactful side quests in the Legend of Zelda series. This isn't going to be really in any particular order. We just wanted to talk about 15 of our favorite side quests. And actually, we kind of landed on that 15 number by accident, but a uh, happy accident, I guess. So we're going to we're going to dive right into that. But first, what did you think of uh, Super Mario Maker 2? Looked pretty cool. You know, I can't really I can't wait for this. Like the the first one was really really fun to begin with just because, you know, it even if I'm not very good at creating, you know, different different Mario levels and things like that, just seeing the the creativity of the community as a whole and then just being able to have like endless Mario content, no matter what's going on in in the gaming world, is it's just something neat all in its own. And the fact that you know Super Mario Maker Two, from for all intents and purposes, is just going to be a really, really awesome addition to that and a major improvement over all the things that made the first one great. I, I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, it looked really fun. Um, and I had the first Super Mario Maker. I'm not really like a I don't like making levels for myself, but I really like playing other people's levels. And um, this one looks like kind of the the melee, if you will, to the original Mario Maker's N64 Smash Bros. So it looks like it kind of is improving everything. There's going to be... Um, the thing that I was most excited about was the co-op play online. I think that that's going to be just like an absolute blast. And I wasn't... I don't know if I was going to pick up Mario Maker 2 before I saw the Direct that Nintendo uh, put out last week. But I, I think that there is like pretty much no way that I, I can't grab it now. Maybe I won't grab it right away since I'm going to be focused on Zelda until uh, July 13th. But um, I'm definitely going to pick it up after and look forward to playing with some of you guys online because we know what kind of we know what kind of co-op player I am. <laughs> yeah, you the best basically kind. Kill <laughs> everybody. Everybody that's not you, you greedy jerk. Just steal our <laughs> rupees. Uh, I God, I still wish that they would put four swords online. You know, like it that'd might, be so good. I don't think it's out of the question. I I feel, I feel somebody in Nintendo is listening to you, 
and and has some plans or plots in the making. Uh, well, at least somebody's listening to me. Um, the developers of Cadence of High Rule aren't listening to anybody. As we get less and less information about it going up to E3, I'm kind of becoming more convinced that uh, it's just going to be an announcement at E3. It's like available today. Yeah. So we'll we'll keep our eyes on that. Because yeah, then, it seems weird. Like, wait, but wasn't know? the rumor last week or the week before that it was just coming out this this month? Yeah, but like, it, wouldn't it wouldn't it seem wouldn't it seem better to like if you're gonna do that at least like promote it a bit instead of Nintendo saying like oh this game is available tomorrow it, it, like I could see them doing that if they had a Nintendo Direct scheduled for this month or you right. know what I mean like sometimes I like to put in those announcements in there but I mean you know the 11th of June really isn't that far from the end of May so I I could see them just holding off and saying like you know oh it's available today you know go play Zelda because they did the same thing at last E3 with Hollow Knight so. Very true, we'll very true. We will see. But uh, enough of that. Let's get into our uh, top 15 most impactful side quests in the, in the Legend of Zelda series here. Easy for me to say. Um, but we got a lot of ground to cover, so we're going to kind of blitz through some of them. We're not going to... Uh, we'll dive deeper into the, some of the ones later on this list. But I guess as a word of um, caution or just a word of you know, an advisory word... Um, there's a lot. There's a lot of side quests from you know uh, a select number of games on here because the select number of games obviously have the most side quests to offer. So there's not there's not really a whole range of diversity from the games that are on this list. You can probably see the same five games pop up a lot, unfortunately, um, mostly because they're just Taylor and I's favorites, and then also because there is you know so much more to choose from, and we kind of we tried to. We tried to get more in-depth into side quests and not trading sequences in particular, um, unless there was a really good payoff to that trading sequence. So I think every single game has a trading sequence in there somewhere in there. So we really only wanted to pick the uh, the the ones that were the most special. Yeah, I'm definitely convinced that uh, trading sequences are Nintendo's favorite type of side, uh, side quest. Yeah, so um, just a disclaimer for you guys. But uh, that being said, why don't we kick this list off with the trading sequence? Um, so maybe the most uh, infamous trading sequence in the Legend of Zelda series comes from the Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. And uh, this is the deed trading sequence where you start off in Clock Town and you're, you're swapping the deeds to the different uh, Deku petals. And eventually you end up with a spare deed. And Taylor, what do you do with that deed? Well, personally, I like to give it to a little friend who happens to reside in a little inn. And he happens to be a hand. I don't know if he's... A mysterious fellow. Yeah, I don't know if it's disembodied, you know, if his his whole body is down there somewhere. But uh, he resides in a nice little toilet. It seems very comfortable. And he's a blue fellow. And he needs some teepee, so uh, I pass on the uh, the old deed, because, you know, why not wipe uh, wipe the divine crevice with uh, a little map? When you gotta go, you gotta go. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, so yeah, this is the most bizarre, absurd trading sequence, I think, in Zelda, by far, where you're, uh, <laughs> you're just uh, swapping toilet paper 
for uh, for somebody. So uh, I, that kind of broke our our trading sequence rule because you know it's extremely memorable, and uh, the mystery behind the man in the toilet or the hand in the toilet is is intriguing, and it's I still think about it sometimes. I I really want to know whether there's more to this hand like is it just a hand is it like a piranha plant i i still i still wish the hand in the toilet was a dlc character for smash just oh, uh, because yeah that would have been awesome just to watch like just a hand in a, in a toilet just like hopping over the stage oh my god and oh. and this guy may or may not reappear in some form on this list at a later date but um speaking of just absolutely bizarre. I I know I kind of described this a couple weeks ago to you, Taylor, and I know you haven't played it, so I'll take the floor here. But the Rupee Good side quest in Tingle's Rosie Rupee Land is something that I had to put on this list, if only for the reward that you get. Now, for anybody unaware, Rupee Goods are um, basically little trinkets hidden in the world of Rupee Land. And uh, Tingle collects, I think there's 31 of them, and they're, they're just like, like little trinkets, neon signs or propeller fake planes or something, and he decorates his attic with them. And once you find all of them, you're allowed to enter a secret chamber towards the end of the game. And inside of that secret chamber, you find Pinkle, who is a pink Tingle who has been helping Tingle on his adventure um, via a, uh, a, a tele... basically like a hologram, actually. She's been kind of a hologram. So you actually meet her face-to-face, and uh, she gives Tingle a very X-rated reward. And the camera, it, it doesn't really imply it so much as it just shows it, but behind Tingle's infl- in balloon, which is inflated to cover up what's going on. And the DS starts shaking and the screen's like flashing red. And I couldn't even believe what I was seeing. And uh, it's something that I will never forget. I... I just I don't even know what to say. Like that 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 is truly something that just has to be experienced, I think. Yes. Uh yeah, me describing it just can't do it justice. If you if you hate yourself, go YouTube this scene and you can you can check it out and uh you'll never look at Tingle the same way again. Or better yet, buy Tingle's Rosie Rupee Land for $45 in a back alley behind a Tim Hortons and play the game yourself. I wish that thing's seventy-five bucks. Oh, Canadian. <laughs> I guess it's forty-five USD. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's about right. Uh, it's it's definitely uh, something worth experiencing. Um, so let's just never talk about it again and move on. Now, this is the next one is a, a soft spot for the both of us, and it's kind of more. Um, it's more generic than I think a lot of the other entries on this list but um the kinstone quest in the minish cap now pretty much every single side quest in this game is linked to kinstones in some form or fashion some form or fashion and there are there are some kinstones that are required as part of the story but by and large most of them are just um you know unmandatory so you can you can going around and collect the different kinstones and fuse with uh, a ton of different people over the land and you unlock like really i I can't think of a side quest that isn't tethered to the kinstones um so it's it's just like as a as a concept i really enjoyed it in the minish cap yeah it's a very heartwarming kind of thing 
and and very Nintendo, very very Zelda, I think, in a lot of ways. And it, it's it's something I remember, especially because like at the time that Minish Cap came out, I was at an age where I I could have used a little bit more uh, friendliness from from other people and and basically being able to in in game kind of go out and and just make people happy by doing simple little things whether it's you know finding a an odd kinstone piece here and there in a dungeon or actually completing a side quest uh through the use of acquiring these these different kinstones just it, it gave it kind of like meaning to me and, and especially you know all the reactions that the different characters have like once you've completed these different these different kinstone fusions it's just it's it's really sweet really charming and uh i i i still remember you know just just feeling really 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 good about myself any time that i was able to to complete one of those yeah i think one of the best things that the kinstone quest did for the minish cap is kind of um it kind of like brought the npcs to life a little sure. bit sure um, especially in playing, you know, in playing some other Zelda games, there's a lot of, of characters that are there just to, just to be there. You know what I mean? They're, they don't really serve any importance to, to anything really. So when you, when you're fusing kinstones with people, it's kind of like, okay, well this person has a purpose and you, you remember the certain people that you need to come back to and that you need to fuse with and stuff like that. So it really kind of, I thought that it did a good job bringing the characters, to life a little bit more and making them seem like more important in the grand scheme of things. Even if, you know, fusing a kinstone with them unlocked like a trivial chest or something like that, it still was a reward for interacting with that person. It's like a participation grade in college. So yeah, I really liked the kinstones and I really liked, let's see how many times I can butcher saying this, the Mayamais from A Link Between Worlds, which is uh, the next item or side quest on our list. Um, And this is... This is kind of like the last general one that we wanted to put in there. Like we said, we wanted to go a little bit more in depth, but um, these things are so cute. They, they're like pink little mini Octoroks. Um, they're like they're they're super adorable. There's a hundred of these things hidden throughout the the land of uh, of Hyrule and Low Rule. So um, you your goal is basically to round them up. And what makes this side quest actually pretty good in my eyes is you get like it's the reward factor for them. Like you can you can collecting a hundred is fine and whatever, but like for each ten that you get, you get upgraded items or you get uh, like something decent from from I can't remember the name of uh, whoever asked you to find them, Queen Mayamai or something like that. I don't know, but uh, um, it, it's yeah. really good reward for putting in the effort, which it, to me is like makes a side quest. Uh, it, it like it. It, it makes it worthwhile to do. Like, if you get kind of a, a bad reward for doing something, it's like, well, why bother? Like, like school tools, for example, in Ocarina of Time. When you collect all of them, you get, like, a silver rupee, and it's like, ugh, I don't want this. You know yeah, what I mean? So, like, why would I do it? There, There's definitely a, a like, I, I feel like a consistency issue with Nintendo sometimes in Zelda games with side quests and their rewards. Like, you know, so some side quests you do, you get, you know the really trivial stuff, but then other side quests you get some of the most amazing gear. Um, I think my favorite thing about the my my thing again because again you know I'm I'm the story dude I guess you could say. Uh, she 
the person you're doing this for is not the queen Mayamai, but like the mother Mayamai. Like all these little ones that you're looking for are supposedly are like her children. Um, so it, that was that's a neat little thing where you're you're basically just trying to find a hundred chil- ch- children that this mother has somehow lost. I I don't know how you lose a hundred children, but. You know, it happens, I guess, in the world of Zelda. I, I've got an update, too. Her official name is Mother Mai Mai. So yeah, exactly. Not, not a queen. So sorry. Yeah. So, it, you know, it, that, that was kind of just a, a neat little f- funny thing and where also kind of like uh, I, I'm going around saving all the, these little Mai Mai's. I'm just wondering, it's like, how does a how, do, how does a mom become so irresponsible? She just loses 100 kids. <laughs> how does this happen? <laughs> But it, um, yeah, as you pointed out, the reward and, and the fact like finding them is, is kind of like how you find the Koroks in Breath of the Wild. So you, know, you can find some of them by running into trees, using the Pegasus boots, you can find some of them just, you know, under rocks or in the grass. And, you know, it, it's 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 a very like Korok beta, I guess you want to say. <laughs> but uh, the rewards for it are certainly a hell of a lot better than the Korok quest. Uh, undoubtedly, yeah. Um, and yeah, like, like finding, there's, there are certain ones that I remember, I mean, I can't remember any off the top of my head now, but I, I do remember, like, they were nice little challenges to find. Some of them were, were quite, you know, hidden away in, um, in the world. So finding, like, actually, like, just finding them in and of itself is kind of a reward, too, because it's like a test of your skills or a testament to your skills. And then, you know, getting an upgraded boomerang or fire rod or anything like that is definitely... It's definitely a, a nice, you know, uh, cap on top of that. So, yeah, that was one of my that was one of my more favorite. Just in general, collect these side quests, and Zelda has a lot of those side quests. Um, like you said, Koroks or Skulltulas or whatever. So, uh, I think that the Mimis was was my favorite of that bunch. Yeah, probably. I think the combination of it just being really really cute and concerning from a parental standpoint uh but and, and then the the fact that it's really really good rewards it just it's just one of the better collectibles quests i mean skull tells i think we're probably the next best maybe just because some of the rewards for doing the skull tells were really good like getting bigger wallets and things was nice but i, I think there was there was there was a mix of good and really bad rewards with Skulltola one. And by the time that you actually got all hundred Skulltolas, I guess you know getting was it like five hundred rupees or a thousand rupees? It just really isn't worth it anymore because you don't you don't really yeah. You need just them you just got a point. silver rupee and you don't need it because your wallet's it's got to be already maxed out. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah, I mean, but from um, a story standpoint, it made sense. Like, yeah, we'll make you rich if you undo this curse. So it was kind of cool. But yeah, from a, from a gameplay standpoint, that reward was not not the greatest. So the Mayamai is being able to upgrade your spin attack to the great spin once you collect all 100 plus all the one all the you know mini rewards you get every ten, just kind of mm-hmm. topped it out all around. I agree. Um, so let's move on to a extremely popular side quest in the Zelda series. This one comes from Breath of the Wild, Terrytown. I think... So I... Yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say, this... I, I like this quest, but it, it's not my favorite from Breath of the Wild. I think that that game is so rich with um, with side quests that it's, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's hard just to narrow down on a couple. 
but I, I will say that I do like, well, it's not my favorite. It's a little bit too collectory for me. I think the end like payoff of it is absolutely fantastic. And it, it is, it is definitely rewarding to see, to see Terrytown actually built leading up to it where you have to, you know, go and collect this and this and this and this and this. It wasn't, you know what I mean? It wasn't my, I wasn't just like super jazzed to do it, but this is definitely a side quest that to me is just like, okay, I guess the ends, you know, were justified the means, if you will. Sure. Overall, this quest is really interesting to me because I think it's the first time where you accomplish something in the game that actually has like a really large and visible impact like you literally build a town from scratch that then becomes a location uh in which you can use to you know whether it's just a safe haven or a spot where you know you restock on on items or you know if you if you complete everything you know you can get back really rare items like the Hylian shield some of the rare armor sets is really cool but i think the whole process of it process of it you know, it 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 does it does air a little bit on the monotonous side sometimes. You know, like go go get this, go get that. But like, I feel like if you're building a town, like not all of it's not all of it's gonna be uh, fun and exciting. You know, the old saying Rome wasn't built in a day. But it, you know, to 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 borrow from our friends over at the Hyrule Compendium, because I just watched this episode last night where they borrowed from us. Um, I think Skyrim is a really good comparison here in terms of how Breath of the Wild kind of handles its side quests in which like a lot of them as you pointed out are are fetch quests or or go kill this and get that and they're like little small 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 bits and I think that the biggest the biggest charm about them, though, is like it, the the Zelda quality to like all the different little story moments. Like they're they're just little isolated pockets where people are, you know, having having these moments of either distress in the, in this calamity torn world, or uh, you know, they're they're just trying to eke out as you know a living, a surviving in this place. And the whole Terrytown thing, it it kind of gives you this feeling of accomplishment, or at least it did for me, where, you know, you're kind of provide you're, you're contributing not just to defeating Calamity Ganon, but you're building this entire town that, that is a refuge for these people, that you're helping to kind of provide for these people and help these people kind of, you know, not just survive, but also move forward and, and progress through their lives and through... Um, through finding a reason because there are a lot of the people that you bring to Terrytown um, are, are, are a little lost kind of in their, in their own ways. And they don't quite know what to do. They want to do something, but they don't know what to do yet. And when you bring them to Terrytown, they kind of find purpose. And I think that's really cool. Not to mention Bolson, the, the carpenter, that is probably, he's probably one of my favorite characters in breath of the wild. He's, he is just a living riot. I love him. Uh, refresh my memory. Who who ends up getting married in Terrytown? Uh, I I want to say it's the the Gerudo and the and one of the and a Hylian, right? I think something like that. Something like that. Anyways, yeah. 
that scene, uh, somebody out there will will know and correct us. Yeah, but I sure. I thought that that scene was like fantastic, and, and to me that was the end of the the Terrytown quest proper. I I know it wasn't like exactly tied into the main quest of building the town, but like that was the payoff to building it was to see this this wedding scene. I thought it was really I thought it was really cute, and uh, you know at the end of the day you're right, like you've you've built this town from the ground or from nothing really it's it's from the ground up um and you can you can continually go back there you get you get rewards you get incentives to build it um and it it is something to be said about like seeing that finished product like you said in the kind of like the desolate land of of hyrule so it, it is nice and it's again it's one of those things that you always hear people complain about breath of the wild being too empty and it's like you know, it, it, it is nice to be able to fill it up a little bit with more stuff. So, yeah, Terrytown, it, it, it's not, I, I think that there's some more side quests in Breath of the Wild, which we'll touch on in a little bit here, that, um, you know, maybe, that maybe we enjoy a little bit more. But this one is, um, it, it's really good. It's probably the, the side quest that people think of the most when they think of Breath of the Wild. And I think for that, you know, it does deserve some recognition. For sure. All right, so he's back. The hand in the toilet. Although I don't think we actually get confirmation that it's just a hand in the toilet. I think he's just a ghost in the toilet in this particular iteration. I mean, either ways, Hyrule uh, and Skyloft have a lot of disembodied spirits or body parts that uh, just happen to reside in the lavatory. Yeah, so we... You know, even if we don't see him, I know it's the hand. I can feel it in my bones. So this guy is back. Skyward Sword, Skyloft, the haunted restroom. Um, so this this side quest I think is like hilarious, and it's it's for like just a measly five gratitude crystals. So not really much in the grand scheme of things, but just the way that it unfolds, I thought it was just like it was like very Majora's Mask ish, where it's just like so bonkers that it's like okay, well let's let's go with it. So, Groose's buddy, Colin, is writing a love letter for uh, Crane, and uh, Link, he gives it to Link to deliver. I don't know why nobody can deliver their own love letters in this series. Don't you think that'd make more of an impression? I do, but I think they're all shy as hell. I mean, come on now. Uh, So, anyways, so he he gives Link a love letter to to give to Crane. So, Link can either then uh, give it to her... At which point, she she thinks that it comes from Pippet, and they end up falling in love, and uh, Colin is brokenhearted. Or, he could give this letter to, you guessed it, the hand in the toilet, or the ghost in the toilet, I guess. Because when you gotta go, you gotta go. Yeah. And we've, we've proven that over and over in this series. Um, so either way, she, she gets this, or she does not fall in love with Colin. And either way, Colin is brokenhearted. So kind of a morbidly sad side quest for this for this poor bastard. But like, it's, it's those... just it's so absurd that uh, how can you not love it? Yeah, it's it's one of those damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of quests. But the fact that you have that choice, and you know, because it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't quest, it's it's one of those where like you have to choose the hand just because. <laughs> There's there's no reason not to. And, I mean, I think, honestly, Link's purpose in Hyrule is not really to defeat Ganon. It's 
it's really just to provide welcome relief to all these these disembodied things residing in in, in toilets. And there you go. That's uh, that's the final appearance of this mysterious hand in the toilet on this show. Will he pop up in the future? In future episodes, who knows? I hope he's so. an enigma. I hope so too. I hope that we find out a little bit more about him, maybe in the next uh, Zelda game. But um, in let's, Zelda, let's just, fart in the wind. Yeah, let, let's move on as far as we possibly can away from the hand of the toilet, <laughs> and uh, let's appropriately enough, let's get to a quest that involves some food. Um, so the cooking quest from Breath of the Wild, and I'll let you take this one away. Cool. Um, this is. This is definitely one of my more favorite quests in, in Breath of the Wild, mostly just because, first of all, I love food. But second of all, like I really, really enjoyed the cooking mechanic in Breath of the Wild. I thought it was actually one of the, the coolest new features of the game. And I was... I was curious because, like, for for a while going through it, like, I didn't really meet anybody outside of the old man who really had any kind of, like, cooking-oriented quests. But then you get to Kakariko Village, and you you meet a whole bunch of different people here, and lo and behold, like, most of them are Sheikah. But you meet this little girl named Coco, who basically... uh, I I don't think it was I have to correct myself here because I, I I wrote down on my notes that she's too young to cook, but in reality I think it's more along the lines of she's too young to go out and find all these certain ingredients that she needs. But she basically gives you four separate quests to get a certain ingredient or two, bring them to her, and then she cook she teaches you how to cook this dish. And it's it's a really neat little thing because she she's really cute and like the her reasonings for doing these different dishes is 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 pretty pretty neat and charming. And then uh, you know it's also a way for the game to kind of teach you some some really uh, some really useful and cool recipes. Like a lot of the, a lot of the dishes that she teaches you how to cook, while some of them like require some esoteric ingredients that you you don't run across all that often. The, the dish itself is usually um, pretty pretty damn good. So uh, it, it was a neat little quest. It, it involved cooking, and um, it was a four-parter, which is always nice. I like quests that kind of, like, lead into one another. And uh, it was a cute, cute little girl teaching you how to cook. What's better than that? Yeah, um, so I, I couldn't remember this quest um, when we were talking this morning before we, uh, before we started the show. And when you when you explained it to me, I just like the, a big smile came on my face because I I was just like, you know what, that was really cute. The the little girl in Kakariko was like super cute, and um, I I really enjoy cooking in Breath of the Wild as well. Um, just going and finding like exotic dishes and stuff like that, especially the stuff that was hidden in Hyrule Castle. So yeah, I, I thought that this one was nice. Yeah, I, I I experimented a little bit, but most of the time the results were dubious. Uh, so <laughs> I, I like to have recipes, but uh, I cook in Breath of the Wild much like I do in real life. Oh, so oh no, yeah. This one, this one was really cute. I thought that uh, it, once I remembered what it was, because there's just there's so many. You you could do a list of Breath of the Wild side quests, which maybe we'll do sometime in the future. But um, there's just so many from there that uh, yeah, this one just brought a smile to my face. It um, actually kind of reminded me too of playing uh harvest moon back to nature for playstation one where there was 
Like you could go on a certain TV channel and it would also teach you recipes you can make with the different uh, food you you could farm up and stuff. But like there there was no in-game mechanic for tracking those recipes. So I, I, I kind of approached things in Breath of the Wild the same way with cooking where I would just like write down any time I found out a new a new thing that I could make with different ingredients, I would just write it down. Um, but it was really cool with this quest because you can always go back to the completed quest section and it will kind of tell you exactly what you needed. So it was like one of the only only times in the game where there was a record of what you needed. You always got to throw in Harvest Moon on this show, don't you? I do because this game is amazing. Okay, just go play it. No, I don't think I will. Oh, uh, let's let's move on. Special delivery from Breath of the Wild. We have a chain of Breath of the Wild quests here uh, coming up, so buckle in. Um, this one is kind of weird, but like really, it's it's fun, but it's also actually frustrating because it's it's. I thought that it was pretty hard to pull off. So this is the uh, the quest where you meet a a young Zora girl named uh, oh what the heck was her name uh, Finley yeah it was Finley and and basically she wants you to ensure that this another love letter that she puts in a bottle and is sending downstream she wants you to ensure that it gets to where it needs to go so this this little Zora is first of all like like a child so it's kind of funny but then like. Actually, following this this bottle down the river was I thought it was quite challenging. I had to restart this like three separate times because I kept on messing up. Yeah, um, it's a bit of a pain in the butt, it, and it's hard, and it's it's a long way to go too. So you end up having to go through like a moblin camp, and and it's just there's a lot of different um, obstacles in this, and you can't if you lose it, then you're really hooped and you have to start over again. But um, basically, this thing finally arrives at uh, Merkay Island. And then it goes to a, a young Hylian there named Sassin, who is not that young. He's significantly older than Finley, but I, I guess that's true love. So they, they end up meeting up and go back to Zora's domain and, um, you know, they, they live happily ever after, I guess. It's just weird because, like, she's a kid and he's not a kid. So but I guess if, Zora's age differently, so... Hold on. I if I remember correctly, though, like, doesn't Finley tell you that she just looks like she's a kid, but she's not really? She's, <laughs> she's like, way older than, than you think? Yeah, she. I think that she does, but it's just, like, a weird visual, because, like, she looks like a kid! So, yeah, so, um... This is a weird quest. It's fun, and it's challenging. So, uh, I, I, I thought that it deserved a place on our list, but... This one probably takes the cake for challenging quests, and this is going to complete our Breath of the Wild trifecta here. Eventide Island. This one needs almost no explanation. This is a shrine quest, and of course you go into this island and you are completely stripped of everything that you have. You're basically running around in your boxers, and you've got to you've got to use your wits in order to survive and get the the shrine orbs in where they need to go. And really, um, I really liked this this side quest. It's my favorite from Breath of the Wild. I think it's probably a lot of people's favorites from Breath of the Wild. It's like it's such a survivor kind of feel that you just you literally have to make do with what is on that island. Like I could have played an entire game like this. I thought that it was really really fun. 
You know, what's interesting, too, is, like, now, in hindsight, looking back at it, Eventide Island seems like it was kind of Breath of the Wild's uh, preparatory course for the Trial of the Sword that was to come later. It In a way, yeah. It's a very similar kind of setup and where you have to, you know, you got to collect whatever you can, and then you have to determine, you know, is it worth using this item here, or would it be better to save it for something else? And I, I remember the big Hinox on that island. Oh. I it must have taken me like, God, it must have taken me half an hour to beat him because I just I kept on using bombs and like one after the other after the other, and it like did like no damage every single time, and it took forever. But it, I I couldn't think of another way to kill him. It, it, that's the thing, though, is like that was probably the other greatest part about it was like then going on. Like YouTube and different different places, and seeing like how other people were 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 accomplishing it or trying to accomplish it, uh, it kind of actually reminds me of um, a video I saw on Twitter a, a couple of weeks ago, and where somebody was using uh, a cuckoo to his his advantage, and yeah, that was that was pretty crazy. <laughs> ended up <laughs> throwing a bomb at the at the sand creature that that comes up, and then also simultaneously throwing a cuckoo at the bomb so that when the creature swallowed the cuckoo the cuckoo got pissed at the creature and then blew he blows the bomb up to to trigger you know the the uh the the creature to kind of like just fall so it's in a stun state and all the cuckoos just take away a quarter of his life bar it's yeah it, that, that video is going around the net it was pretty it, Breath of the Wild really is an amazing game. Like yeah, you know what I mean. Like it, it's it, there's so much that you can do in that game that it's it's you're really only limited by your imagination in a lot of times. And and it's things like Eventide Island that kind of really bring that bring that to light and bring that to the front to the forefront of of seeing what not just what what you come up with but what everybody else comes up with and the fact that there are so many different things that you really can do in the game with just a limited amount of 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 things so yeah that's gonna that's gonna do it for the breath of the wild on our list but i mean really you could make a full episode of just breath of the wild side quests and and dive deeper than than we even dove into this so far and um you know, maybe, hey, maybe if it's something people are interested in, we'll revisit it at some point. But um, I know that this is one of your favorite side quests, and it's one of mine. And it is probably the most... I know that we've been talking about some bizarre side quests before, but, like, this one's got to take the cake. Uh, Romani Ranch. And, uh, you know, everybody knows this quest, so we'll, we won't spend a whole lot of time on it, but... Um, basically, once you have the powder kegs, you can show up to Romani Ranch day one, and you meet uh, little Kremia, and she is saying like, "Hey man, we got some killer cows coming in at uh, two thirty a.m. here, so be here sharp to help me protect these cows." And so you get there, and uh, aliens start start appearing and are trying to abduct these cows, and it is like the most bizarre thing that I've ever seen, like shooting aliens with a bow and arrow on a farm to protect cows it's just like it's so it's so surreal and ridiculous it's just it's like it's so majora's mask at um you know it's one of those things again it's like how can you not love this i agree but first 
I have to I have to stop you and correct you here because Lord knows that when Kevin listens to this podcast later, he will never forgive me if I don't mention this. And that's the the fact that you did a little swaparoo. Kramia is actually the older sister. Romani is the younger. Oh goodness, you're right. I'm so sorry. Yeah. But that being said, this is I, I completely agree. This is one of the most whimsical but greatest quests ever, I think. You know, just the the fact that I it's so out of left field. Like I, I guess when you when you think about it, like you're you're in a in a game where there's a moon crashing down, so really anything can happen. But I, I don't I don't think nine year old or sorry, no, ten year old me at the time was expecting to go to a ranch, talk to a little girl, and be told that aliens are invading and trying to steal cows. That was... I don't, I don't even think that they said aliens in particular until, like, the aliens actually showed up. I think they just said they were being abducted. Am I right? Wrong? I, no, I, I, I could have swore Romani, like, actually mentions... Uh, oh, no, she, she, she talks about... She refers to them as ghosts. She, she, th- either, she either way, it is just like, just like absolutely bizarre. And like, it's one of the most like surreal moments, I think, in that game where you're just like, what, what am I doing? Like, I'm, I'm shooting arrows at, at aliens that are trying to abduct cows. I just, I will never get over that feeling. Whenever I do that quest, every time I'm just like, God, this is so ridiculously absurd, but I, I love it. And then if you, um, if you help Kremia ward off the Gorman brothers the next day when they finally are getting their milk on, you can get the Romani mask. So there you go. Very true. And, and in a sweet little moment between uh, Kremia and, and Link, which is also a little creepy. But nonetheless. Yeah, kind of special delivery creepy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After school special? Oh. Um. um. <laughs> And Ultimately, so that mask though, lets you get into the milk bar too. So it's like. Right. It, it's a reward that kind of furthers everything else which i think that majora's mask is just so good at we're like you know every everything truly is connected we're like if you if you do this you can unlock this and if you if you unlock that furthers this quest over here and i think that this is another really good example of that in that game and the fact that you get chateau romani out of it like i mean if you have 200 rupees to spare but you know that is probably one of the most useful items in the game uh, especially uh, when doing our Zelda Dungeon Marathon runs. I have to admit, I never use Chateau Romani when it's I so play good, Majora's though. Mask. But I've also infinite I've never magic. played it trying to finish it fast. So, but still, infinite magic, infinite Zora swimming at high speed, infinite stone mask when you're go- going to WWE Pound Town with Twin Mold, like. I don't know. There, there's just so much benefit to the Chateau. Not worrying about, you know, how much magic your your arrows are costing. Infinite rolling with the Goron mask. It's, I don't know. There, there's there's no limit to to the coolness of what that, that drink offers you. Um, so there was no limit to the amount of crushing that was going on in the next side quest in Skyward Sword. We're back in Skyloft. This is one of my favorite side quests in the series, and I don't see a lot of people talk about this. Maybe it's just because it's like a one and done kind of thing. But I just I thought it was really funny, and I thought that it was like 
I don't know, kind of something I'd like to see more out of Zelda. Like we and we've talked about that before on this show in the past. So basically, you know, you can you can flirt with the item girl Beatrice or Beatrice. I'm sorry. And uh, every time that you and go you go and drop off items or whatever, you can I don't know. You can tell her that she does a great job or that I, I can't even remember what else Link says that uh, that she's pretty or something like that. But anyway, so Link has got game, and uh, that you, you can totally <laughs> tell that this girl is just crushing hard on Link. And uh, you, her father, who, who who lives in Bamboo Island, uh, is is aware that there is a suitor after Beatrice, not aware that that suitor is Link. And then he asks Link to basically um, chase away this suitor. So you can either you can either choose to side with the dad and uh, break it off with Beatrice, and she is brokenhearted, or you can... You can tell Beatrice that uh, you know she's the one for you, and that <laughs> she can wait for you, and you'll be back, and you can go on a date or something. Which is actually pretty savage because Link just never comes back, and he spends the rest of his days on the ground with Zelda instead. So uh, either way, you get five gratitude crystals out of it. I don't know. I I love this quest. I think that it's like, I, I think that it's just like so funny. It's like it, it's not something that you see a lot of in Zelda, like, choosing your dialogue back, what to say, in a meaningful way. Um, I, I I have a soft spot for this one. You know, the more and more we examine these kinds of things, I the more I'm realizing that Zelda, as a story as a whole, like, just really specializes in heartbreak. Yeah. Like, poor Colin. Poor Beatrice. Like, no matter what you do, somebody's ending up brokenhearted here. And maybe that's just because everybody and their mother is in love with Link, uh, as evidenced in Breath of the Wild. But, like, I don't know. I think I think if you didn't break it off with Petrus, she waits until the end of time for Link to come back. Which oh, is God. also very sad. Very sad. <laughs> wow. I, ooh. That, that just hurts, man. That just, that really she, she was a sweet girl, too, Petrus. Yeah. I liked her. I, I... I always told her that uh, that we could be a thing, and now I feel bad for that since, you know, Link never comes back. Right. And and then the fact that, like, oh, man, and then all, like, all of Skyward Sword, just Zelda and, and Link's interactions. And crap, now I'm thinking about Merit. Look what you've done, Andy. Look what um, you've done. So yeah. I, I, I love that one. I, and I, I never see people talk about it, but I it, whenever I think of, uh, of side quests in Zelda... I think of that one almost it's usually like my second or third go-to because it, it always stuck with me so there you go i don't know if anyone else likes that one as much as i do but uh what can i say i'm a sucker for uh for the heartbreak of it all um so this one speaking of heartbreak is literal hearts breaking it is the cave of ordeals from twilight princess and i was surprised to see you put this so high on your list actually yeah, it's uh, it's one of those ones where I had to really think about it because, you know, I think that for me, one of the best things of, of, of Twilight Princess was actually something in it that reminded me of another favorite game I have. Um, so when playing Twilight Princess, you uh, eventually will come across something called the Cave of Ordeals. And the Cave of Ordeals is a 50-level kind of mini-dungeon, in a sense, and where you, in each floor, you are presented with tougher and tougher combat challenges. 
until you get to the very bottom. And each every every, um, every ten levels, you also basically unlock kind of like a, a spring of fairies, uh, which will go to a corresponding fairy spring in the world of Twilight Princess, which will allow you to use them later on. So if you're ever short on fairies, that's the way to go, and it's actually kind of worth it. And at the very end, you get a great big old bottle of fairy tears, which, I mean, I think it's a really good good reward, but, um, and, and the fact that you can get it over and over again at, at, at any fairy spring you want to after, or you can get multiples by completing the Cave of Trials again is, is kind of, a, or Cave of Ordeals um, again is, is a good good thing but the the item itself is is good it gives you kind of like a, a buff to your to your uh to your stats your attack and and as well as refilling hearts but um i don't know i i think it was more along the process of being able to test myself test everything i've learned in the game make sure that you know i'm capable of of going through probably the i would say the hardest thing in that game and also, the the addition in Twilight Princess HD. I just remember, I remember the fairy, and her lack of shirt. That's the only thing I remember from. I mean, I, I remember doing it, but I was just like, "What? What is this?" Like, <laughs> I mean, the fairies have always kind of been suggestive, but I was like, "This, this is too much, too much." For for being such a simple thing, it 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 held so much to me. Like between being a reference to having good rewards to. You know, having a feeling of accomplishment and and challenge, it it fit a great package for me. Oof! All right, let's uh, let's move on, and let's get back to our last trading sequence. Probably, I think it's fair to say, the most uh, iconic trading sequence in the Legend of Zelda series. Of course, we're talking about Ocarina of Time and getting the Bigorn Sword. Um, and this is really, uh, for a lot of people, for us, I know this is kind of the, uh, the granddaddy of, um, of trading quests. There had been some that have come before it, of course, but, um, this one, it, it, it really has it all. You, uh, you get an excellent reward and you get to meet, you, you interact with a ton of different, uh, weird people throughout, you know, the game. Um, it's, it's really just, uh, such... It's such a, I guess it's such a ingrained part of Ocarina of Time for me. And just like, you know, I can remember doing it as a kid over and over again that it's maybe it's not the best trading quest in terms of the reward that you get. I think that you could probably say that the boomerang from Link's Awakening is a far superior weapon to the Begorn Sword. But it's just like, it's so timeless and it's so iconic in my eyes um, that really you get... You know, you you get this giant's knife that breaks immediately, and then you you take it all the way to to getting the best sword in the game. And it really it also makes the final battle with Ganon just a kind of a cakewalk after you lose the master sword. So um, yeah, something you know, that would you know, be repeated in Majora's Mask, but yeah, for sure. yeah. Like what what can you say? I mean, like what what really can you add about this particular? trading sequence it's I, I think it's fair to say that this of every trading sequence in the series this has got to be the one that people remember the most yeah I, cer- I certainly think that nostalgia has as a large part in it but it was actually really good especially for the time like you know you're 
it, it does take you kind of almost all around uh, Hyrule and, and what it was at the time. Like, I, yeah, I, because I st- you get to meet some interesting people in it, for sure. Yeah, like, I remember still to this day, like, the first time, you know, climbing up Death Mountain as... Uh, as an as a as an adult, and then encountering the, the the giant Goron, you know, and just seeing him, and and then him just you know looking at you and saying, "Hey, dude, I can't see. Can you can you help me? I'm trying to make this big weapon, but I can't I see." I think the most surreal thing um, in my mind is uh, is the guy in the Lost Woods that. Um, that you get the the mushroom from and he has the blue kuko and it's like he's so oh, kojiro yeah he, he's just so i don't know it, it's like a sad story um, yeah in, in a sense it's uh and then he just disappears and you have the little girl telling you that he's gone and i mean along the way too you you do get to interact with that just diverse cast of characters of course you got um bigoran you get to interact with the carpenters the the old hags it's just like it's such the a weird good, scientist. yeah. It, it's just, it's such a good quest um, that I that I feel like like we said like nostalgia probably plays a lot in it, but you know it's it really it gives you a great reward. It gives you, you know, it, I I feel like it's paced out properly, which can oh, yeah. sometimes be a, an issue with trading quests because you can, you know, like you can do a lot of some trading quests right away and then you can leave it for the entire game. This one you can kind of pace yourself a little bit more. Um, so yeah, it's, it's one of my favorites. I'm sure that nostalgia plays a big part in it, but you know, Hey, what could we say? You know, what was a really neat mechanic. I, I thought it was like when you, when you have that, that one part where you're, where you're timed, um, and you have to deliver the eyes to the, to the guy. I don't remember really you're delivering it to the scientist or you're delivering it from the scientist to the Goron, but you're, you're timed on it. And if you warp, like if you try and fast travel, yeah. If you anywhere, warp, you're you're done. It's done. It's instant. I was like, that was that was such a really cool, cool thing. Because like I think a lot of people would have thought instantly, like, hey, you know, this is how I'm going to beat the timer instead of actually you know run all the way over there. Uh, you know, oh, I'm just that's what I did. There. My first time. Yeah. yeah, and then you just find out. Oh well, that's that didn't work. So I, that was that was just such a neat thing to to encounter at the time. Yeah, it's you know it's just such a timeless, um, such a timeless quest. Seems simple in retrospect, but just uh, really near and dear to our hearts. As is the next one, and uh, I actually I remember you and I practicing for the Zelda Dungeon Marathon last year, playing Ocarina of Time. Oh God! And getting here it comes and getting Epona as uh, as we both. It was just such a. It was such a ingrained in our brains that like you had to free Epona. Yeah. Neither of us realized that it actually wasn't like mandatory. It wasn't all. a prerequisite to the game. But I mean, it, as in terms of side quests, like you really like you have to free Epona in my mind. Still, I've that was the first and only time that I've ever played Ocarina of Time and not gotten Epona. So I mean, everybody knows the story. Um, Epona is being held captive in the future by the evil Ingo. He's, his mind is just absolutely warped from Ganondorf. Uh, Malin has to teach you Epona's song as a kid, and you need to return when you're an adult to uh, basically schmuck around on Epona at the ranch. He's going to challenge you to a race. you got to beat him two times, and then Epona is yours. And then you hop the fence, and, you know, what a, what a classic scene that is. 
Yeah, no, every, everything about that quest is just, it, it's so poignant in, in, in very, in, in a multitude of ways. And the fact that, like, you go through it, you know, as, as a kid, you think, oh, this is going to have a great, you know, happy ending. You meet Malin, she's really, really, uh, she's really charming, cute, she teaches you the opponent's song. You're like, oh, this is cool, this is going to be cool horse and everything like that maybe i'll get to ride it at some point and then lo and behold you hit you hit the halfway mark of the game you could say and you make that transition into the future and now everything is dark and you know the the assistant has pulled a ganondorf and done a coup d'etat on on poor uh, talon and then you find you find Malin inside the barn and she's just like man this guy is a real jerk and look at everything that's happened uh and then but then you go out you play Epona's song and and Epona still remembers you you get to ride her uh, you finally do get to ride her and then you get to use her to to free the ranch it was it's just such a a good mix of of not just moments but also just like emotions at the time and maybe that had to do with the fact that I was like eight at the time, but still, like it was great. Uh, the, the scene of you just like, you know, leaping over the walls of Long Lawn Ranch is maybe one of the best in the series. Because mm-hmm. Epona really, I mean, like the legacy of Epona after Ocarina of Time, she's been in almost every major game in, in some form or fashion. And it's just, a, it's really a partnership that it was really forged from this moment of freeing epona from this ranch and so it was also really nice to to do that in order to save malin too because you know she is she's one of my favorite characters in that game uh she's a spunky little girl and and it's it's so sad to see her seven years in the future because she just looks defeated and um you know freeing freeing her from that is as much a part of it as getting epona for yourself so it's it's just like it's got a little bit of everything it's got practicality wise you know hyrule is a big place and having epona around helps traverse the land and uh, emotional it's you know you can you forge that connection with epona and you help with the ranch as well so yeah it's 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 such a it doesn't even feel like it's a side quest it just feels like it's just a required something to do like the right thing to do so i'm so uh, mad at it though at your race performance Yes. Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, the fact that our that first run that we did where we thought it was necessary ended up being like a nine hour run for me. I was just like, well, crap. And then we realized that we didn't have to do it. And, you know, Moss is just like, damn, nine hours. Like you how, got how many a lot. Times to- did you lose that race? Like two or three? You d- I don't even want to talk about it. OK. And then you and then you ran out of rupees. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> And I, I had to keep going back over and over to do it again. And then I would stop doing it and I'd go do something else because it's like, I don't have enough rupees anymore to do it. <laughs> so <laughs> when Musk is like, I, I hope you know a lot of places you can cut time. I was like, I know where I can cut like three hours of my time right here. <laughs> well, luckily the finished product was better than your practice run. Yeah, but, second um, place. Let's move on. Let's move on to our number one side side quest and and we haven't been numbering these but you, you know it, it's obvious to, to anybody who's been listening to the show or who's read some of my past stuff 
the couple's mask quest in Majora's Mask with Anju and Kafe is absolutely the best side quest in the Legend of Zelda series. And I would probably say the best side quest in any game. Um, and, and for a couple reasons. Wow. Obviously, yeah, I, I can't think of a, of a quest that I like more. I think okay. I'm going to say this is my favorite side quest in any game. Um, and, and the reasons are a few. It's like, it's it's a perfect blend of everything together so you can do practicality wise um this game or this side quest offers you a ton of like awesome rewards you get a couple masks you get a bottle you get heart pieces you get you just get a lot of like really good rewards for your time invested into this because it does take you know it takes a while to pull this off so it's nice to see you rewarded in different tiers almost uh, for how you do it and then you, you can almost, you can do the side quest in different tiers too. You can do it to a certain point and, and walk away with a mask, or you can do it to a certain point to walk away with a bottle. You can, you can do it and walk away with the postman's hat or it, it, like everything is connected into the side quest and you could really pick and choose how you want to do it. Um, and, and I feel like the, this side quest just, it, it really shows how alive Clocktown really is because there there are so many different moving parts in this quest that you have to meet and that you have to do and like certain events have to happen in order for everything else to happen like you have to save the old woman on the first night or else nothing works you have to you, you know what I mean it's just like you have to be there at certain points in time you have to do certain things at the certain you know correct moment in order for it to really function properly as it should um, and then, you know, the story behind it really elevates it to another level. Of course, Anju and Kafe are getting married. The world is literally ending around them. Uh, Kafe has been, been cursed and he's stuck as a kid. And, you know, the, the final scene of them embracing as the the world is, is collapsing around them is just such a fantastic scene. And not only does the side quest give them a lot of character development and it fleshes out you know, this story of this couple, it, it shows you a lot of insight into the postman, into the mayor's mother or into the mayor's wife, rather. It, it just, it really shines, you know, a good light on a lot of different characters. And it's one of the only times that in the Zelda series that you can play a, as a character that isn't Link. So it, this, this quest, it really, you know, it, it has it all. Yeah. I don't even know what I can add to that. Like, you you've really hit the nail on the head with this one. It there's just so much to it too. Like it's it's one of those side quests that could have almost been a main game in itself. If they wanted to really develop it that way, and like you can get I think something like a, a quarter or a fifth of all the masks in the game just from this doing this side quest alone. Um. Uh, yeah, like Majora's Mask is one of those games that just really, really brings out, I think, what what Zelda can mean from a deeper lore perspective, because you have all these characters who are who are so interlinked, you have all these quests that are so interlinked, and then the fact that like this quest the way it plays out is is almost like a movie in in several ways and the you know that as you said the ending scene you're getting married 
the moon is crashing on top of their heads, literally. It, there, it's just, it's so well done. It's so well shot. It's so well, so, um, so perfectly set up. I mean, I uh, I can't even think of something that I didn't like about it. I I don't I don't honestly don't think there are any flaws with the quest, which is really what what boggles my mind. Like usually you can find something to nitpick, and with this one, I really can't. It, it's it yeah. It's just it, it's layered so perfectly. Um, the emotional payoff is there. The the time that you put in is definitely rewarded in terms of. Um, items for your troubles it's just it's really it's it's such it's the it's the perfect side quest i think i I really i cannot think of a side quest in any other title that beats this one for me um so yeah I, i i just think it's really special it shows this is a perfect example to show how intricate and well designed majora's mask is because it's really the mechanics of, of the time and the schedule of everybody, they really just, there's no better way to show that off than to, to play through this quest from, from start to finish. Um, and I think that another thing that really helps it is like, you know, you, like I said, you can start this quest in stages at the beginning of the game, but you, you won't have the necessary items to finish it until a little bit later. So when you finally get that scene of them coming together, it's really a really awesome payoff to this, this journey that you've been on from you know presumably you could start this quest almost immediately so it's more impactful than it would have been you're saying basically yeah like it's you you have to build up to it um you know what i mean and it's just you know the the final scene or the final shot of anju and kafe just kind of together as the moon is falling down is is just a fantastic shot um and I actually, I actually, every time I play Majora's Mask, I make a point to do this quest and then go fight Majora like right after, so that they can be reunited. Mm-hmm. Um, but the world doesn't end. There you go. Yeah, enough said, I think. And uh, and that's it. That's our most impactful side quests in Zelda. And and you know we've missed we've missed so many great side quests. I'm sure that we just didn't have time to cover in this episode um you know really there is just we're really spoiled with the zelda series and how much extra content that that it really offers um to to the players like even even the smaller games i'm playing Link's awakening now and there's like a ton of extra stuff that i'm just skipping by because i'm trying to finish it quickly so you know there's there's so much good stuff in here and we've really only scratched the surface of it but uh, i i think that we that we did a pretty good job talking about some of the more impactful ones that that impressed upon us so we had a dd the other day um i think it might have been last week where it was asking like you know do you ever find yourself getting burned out on the legend of zelda series and you know maybe when it comes to a a speedrunning perspective when we're practicing for the marathon maybe but i think the side quests of legend of zelda uh, you know especially the anju and kafe quests like it's a, it's a perfect example of this. Is it, Those are the reasons why I don't think I ever will truly be burned out on on Zelda. You know, there's just, there's so much. E, the main quests are always really, usually well, uh, really well designed and, and a lot of fun to do. 
but then the fact that there are always almost always these these little things you can also accomplish you know in big and small ways that that just make it always interesting and always worth doing and always worth uh investing my time into so there you go that that is gonna do it for our uh in-depth look at uh, the different side quests so thank you everyone for sticking around with us as uh, as we plunged through and and got to the bottom of these impactful quests uh of course we want to know what yours are tweet at us let us know in the comments of this post and uh again enjoy side quest week over at zelda dungeon because there's going to be a lot of good stuff a lot of in-depth looks into the different things that you can do in the world of hyrule and beyond um before we sign off I just want to throw a quick plug out there. Um, if you guys are interested, I was uh, I was lucky enough to be interviewed on Hidden Pixels podcast this past week. Uh, I talked some some Zelda dungeon, some uh, some Zelda. We talked about the Postman, and uh, we talked a little bit about uh, how how the Champions cast came to be. So you know, if you guys uh, want to check that out, I encourage you to. Um, Sebastian was a host; he did a great job. So he is at hidden pixels pod and you can check out the website at hidden pixelspodcast.com so um yeah check it out there's a lot of cool like behind the the zelda dungeon scene stuff in there i guess so it was interesting to talk about and it was nice not being a host for once i can only imagine <laughs> yeah um so yeah that's gonna do it for us this week um make sure you head over to podbean to itunes like subscribe comment review all of that good stuff if you have a zelda fan in your life Tell them about the Champions cast. They will not be disappointed. Um, we're out. We're going to enjoy SideQuest Week. We hope you do too. Head over to Twitter. I am at Spateri316. Taylor is at GIF underscore Bluehawk. And uh, we hope that you guys have a good week. Next week, Andy versus Taylor, baby. E3 predictions part two. And I would just like to throw a friendly reminder out there that Taylor has still not fulfilled his obligation for losing last year's E3. Just saying. So we're going to do it all over again. You, you need to invent time travel, please, so I can get more time. Or you can go back and just be right. One of the two. Either way, that's next week. We all know I'm going to win again. Make sure that you're in there for that. We're out. Have a good week, guys.